Well, we are in 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings 14 chapter, looking at Amaziah. In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, <laughs> here, we go, here, we go. here we go, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father Joash had done. Well, that's interesting, because Joash kind of was a mixed bag of tricks, wasn't he? Good in the beginning. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand that he executed his, his servants who had murdered his father the king. But the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses in which the Lord commanded saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children nor shall children be put to death for their fathers but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. So we see that he uh, worked with the people who killed his father until he felt the kingdom was firmly established in his hand. That must have been fun to do. You got to wonder, are you going to rise up and kill me as well? But he was 25 years old when he became king. His father reigned 40 years, which would put him at somewhere around the year 15 of the previous king, his father, when he was born. Now, Jehoiada, the priest, was alive for the beginning part. Not exactly sure how far that was, but more than likely, this, this uh, young lad was too young to be influenced by Jehoiada, or uh, maybe that Jehoiada was completely gone. I think he was probably just very young and probably not influenced a whole lot by Jehoiada as his father was. But it says that he pursued after the good side of Joash, not necessarily the bad side, which is interesting when you live up in that, in that household. And most of his time would have been spent during the bad years of Joash. Once again, the high places were not taken away. It is tough to get rid of established sins. We talked about that before. It can be done, but you've got to do some uprooting. You've got to do some uh, uh, Jehu type stuff to, to get rid of those kind of things. You think people before me worship Baal, you watch Jehu worship Baal. We're going we're gonna to have a good old time. And he knocked it all out of there. That's kind of like what you had to do. So he, he established the kingdom in his hand. He got rid of the murderers. But it calls him a, a good king, just not quite up to the level of David, but certainly up to the level of, of Joash. And our main focus here tonight we're going to be looking at is he's going to square off in battle against an evil king, one who never had any good side to him. And this guy's got at least a, a, a good, good side according to the word, but he loses terribly in the battle. Doesn't just lose a little bit. He loses a lot. And once we get into this story, you're going to find out he had good reason to go into battle. So why does the good king lose against the evil king? That's the question we ask a lot of times even today. Why is it that good causes don't succeed and bad causes do? Why do good people have a hard time moving forward and bad people seem to, to get through there okay? Well, let's um, go on here in verse 7. He killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Salah by war and called its name Jokthael 
to this day. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. He's got to work on his stories a little bit. That's just, uh, I don't know, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that, and stay at home. For why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not heed. Therefore Jehoash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Bethshemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel. There was uh, not too much... They, they, they really were defeated. Now, we're not getting a whole lot of the story here. You've got to probably figure out there's a lot more going on than just what we see here. Verse, uh, verse 12, And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah, at Bethshemesh. And he went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. So all these things went back with him. All these people went back with him. He left the king stay there. And he warned them not to do this, but apparently the kings went ahead and did it. But it sounds more like he's bragging. But still, he was uh, the king who won, king of Israel. He is the evil king of an evil king who was born to Jehu's house. And Jehu, you know, as soon as he took the throne, didn't quite um, follow the Lord with all the, the way that he should. If we turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. So it puts that little catchphrase on there. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. However, he did not execute the children, but did as it was written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The father shall not be put to death for the children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, for a person shall die for his own sin. <clears throat> now, I didn't mention this before, but when you look at this, there's a lot of teaching that still goes around. And I know you all know better, but the generational curse stuff and the things. But right here, we'll tell you, if God is telling us not to put the children to death for what the fathers do, why would he? So he is because your father or grandfather or grandmother or mother or somewhere down the line, someone did something. It doesn't mean God's going to come and visit that on you unless you did it. The only way a curse or a sin can follow from generation to generation is if they, each generation continues to do it. That's in the Bible. God cannot tell us not to do something if he's going to go ahead and do it. So the, the folks who teach this are picking and choosing some scriptures. And they're out there. And I know people who, who buy into it. No, if you're going to be punished for a sin, you've got to commit the sin. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to the father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. 
<clears throat> and he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you. For the Lord is not with Israel, nor uh, not with any of the children of Ephraim. Sometimes we think that, you know, by joining up with certain things, we'll become more powerful. They had 300,000. They hired 100,000. That's, that's, that's a third more than they had is going to be added on. That's uh, quite a substantial addition to your, your force. And the prophet says, don't bring them. If you bring them, you'll be weakened because the Lord is not with them. Makes you think a little bit more about Jehoshaphat going to battle with uh, Ahab. But he says, don't bring them. But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle. Even so, God will, shall make you fall before the enemy. For God has power to help and to overthrow. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall I do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Well, they didn't have to go to battle, and they still got paid. I don't know what there is to be mad about. You get hired to do a job. They say, sorry, we don't want you, but go ahead and keep the money. And they go on home, and they're mad. Makes no sense to me. Then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went to the Valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also, the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock so they all were dashed in pieces. Yeah, it sounds pretty brutal there, but um, apparently God was uh, for this particular judgment against the, the land of Edom. It wasn't just something that he dreamed up on his own. So they do that and they win this battle. But in verse 13, But as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged, that's the army of Israel, so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and killed 3,000 in them and took much spoil. So on their way home, they stopped by a few cities and said, we're going to take some more money and we're going to raid these guys because we know all the other guys are out there fighting the battle over here. So these places are open. And so that's what they did. Now, would that make you angry? You hired these guys to help you and then dismissed them but still paid them and then on their way home, they start ransacking your cities Killed 3,000 of your citizens. Would that be, Does that sound like uh, something to make war over? It sure does to me. And they obeyed God on it too. Now they didn't obey God in going to get them. They shouldn't have gone to get gotten them. They should have just left them alone. But they didn't do that. Now it was so. After Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites. That he brought the gods of the people of Seir. Set them up to be his gods. And bowed down before them. And burned incense to them. Now, why'd you have to go and do that? Yeah. <laughs> now, Kings completely omits that. Doesn't tell you that that's going on. And that kind of brings a little bit of light into, this, into the story. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah. And he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people, which could not rescue their own people from your hand? And this makes absolutely no sense at all. You go and you conquer people. Their gods are not able to protect them and... You capture their gods, bring them on back, say, we're not going to worship these gods 
who were failures at protecting their people instead of the ones that took us into battle. But the unsaved mind, the mind that is not renewed on the Word of God, it is amazing what logic they come up with. You will not understand it. You will talk to unsaved people and you will try and figure out why are you doing these things and they will tell you and it will make no sense to you at all. Just understand, that's okay. You're not going to understand it. And they are not going to understand your way either. They're just not going to understand it. They're, you're going to say, look, why don't you do it the way that I'm doing it? Look how successful it is. No, no, no. I'm going to keep doing it this way. They will not listen. So God got mad at them. Sent a prophet to them. Now look at verse 16. So it was as he talked with him that the king said to him, Have we made you the king's counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? Now, if you were the prophet, you had a word from God, and the person you are delivering the word to says, cease. Why should you be killed? Basically, if you don't stop, I'm going to kill you. What do you think your job is? Is your job to continue to deliver the word of the Lord? Or is your job to cease? Now, we might think that your job is to continue to give the word of the Lord. But that does not seem to be the case here. Look as he goes on. Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my voice. So he basically said, ah, I see that the hand of the Lord is on you for destruction. There is no sense in me going on because you're not going to listen and you're not going to turn your way. And God has decided you're going to die. <laughs> you're going down. So there's really no reason for me. To, now up to that point, he could have changed. God sent him to go to him. He delivered the word, but his response was, stop it. I don't want to hear this. If he had had a heart like David, when the prophet came and he said, I have sinned, then that would have changed everything from here. But he didn't do that. And so the, the prophet said, okay, I'm going to stop. This is something we need to learn sometimes. Because as Christians in a very heathenistic world, sometimes we get so caught up in the truth, we keep wanting to spout the truth when the people don't want to hear it. You need to recognize the hand of God when it is against something. We saw this with Moses. When Moses was talking with the people when they were rebelling, and he suddenly stops talking to the people and he turns to Aaron and he said, take the censer and get out amongst the people. And he plops down and begins to intercede for the folks because the plague had already begun. He says, I can't talk to you folks anymore right now. We got to we got to work on, on God's part. It's already started. Sometimes it's it's too late for us to keep talking to people. Now, you can come and you can bring the message, but how they respond at that moment determines where they're going to go. I'm not talking five minutes from now. We've been talking a lot on Sunday mornings about the people who the power of God was present. And when they obeyed what Jesus said, immediately power came upon them and they were healed. Well, the same is true in the opposite end. That the word of God came. Here was the opportunity. And their first, uh, first reaction is cease. That would be the same thing as the man who was lame at the pool of Bethesda saying, but I can't. 
It shuts down the power of God. And no longer can we go, go forward in this. So when people respond in a certain way, you can't just stop. Okay? Now you'd listen to God. Watch the hand of God. You are a sensitive, spirit-filled person. If the hand of God suddenly turns and says, oh, that's it. You need to read that. And you need to sometimes quit. Well, okay, hand of God is against you. Now, if the hand of God is not against them, then you can keep on, on talking. Because that's not always, just because they turn a negative response doesn't mean that the hand of God's against them. The uh, woman at the well, she was not positive in her first response. But God can, Jesus continued to minister to her, and she turned around. And she became uh, receptive to the things of God. So you've got to listen to the Spirit of God. But just understand there are going to be situations that you're in. You brought the word and their initial response, shut it down. And don't keep going. Don't, don't keep preaching that, that word. Don't keep saying that word. Jesus, once the Pharisees shut things down, he avoided them. Avoided teaching them. Avoided teaching in a way they would hear and understand. So this, this prophet, he ceased. I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this. And have not heeded my voice. Now we'll go on in verse 17. Now Amaziah king of Judah asked advice. And sent to Joash the son of Jehoaz. The son of Jehu king of Israel saying. Come let us face one another in battle. Now after you just got this rebuke from God. Why are you going into battle? Remember the word that came to him. You go into battle the wrong way. God can either set you up to prosper. Or God can set you up to fail. Is the hand of the Lord with you? Or is the hand of the Lord against you? Well, he doesn't have to ask anybody about this. He knows the hand of the Lord is against them. But he doesn't ask God. He says, Amaziah of Judah asked advice. Who do you think he asked advice from? People are the same mindset as him. And sent to Joash, the son of Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. Now, he's not just picking a fight. He had those soldiers that they hired, and they're heading back over to Israel, and they raided his cities, and they killed his people. You've got to have some kind of response. But if he hadn't brought those gods back, started worshiping them, he could have said, God, I did what you said. Look what they did. And God says, go get them. I'll empower you. Go get them. And, and, do, and he would have gone and gotten them and done something. But um, he can't do that when he brought the, the gods of the Edomites in. So then we get into the parable again. And Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast. Stay at home now. Why should you meddle with trouble, that you should fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God that he might give, him, give them into the hand of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. Now, in this same situation, the hand of God could have been with Judah to judge Israel. But because Judah had gone after the other gods, the judgment came upon them. But still, you may look at this and say, well, hold on a minute. Israel's been evil for longer than Judah has. Why doesn't it work that they're more evil than Judah is? Therefore, 
I mean, they're all supposed to be serving God. They're all children of God. Why not have the one who's been evil longer lose the battle than the one who's been evil shorter? And beside that, Israel was the one who transgressed and the king of Israel apparently doesn't care. I'm not going to judge those guys. They, they got stuff and you sent them home and they did what they wanted to do. He's not going to do it. So Joash, king of Israel, verse 21, went out and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemosh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel and every man fled to his tent. Then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, at Beth Shemosh, and he brought him to Jerusalem and made him watch as he broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate 400 cubits. So now we've just exposed the city. It's not a, not a protected. That's your, that's your capital. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasures of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. So it's a complete defeat because you don't just come in, knock down the city's walls, raid the temple with all the gold, take hostages when they still have forces that are around to, to defend themselves. They had a, a complete defeat here. Captured the king. Now, I don't know what hostages they took. To I guess it's just to make sure that Israel doesn't come and, or Judah doesn't come back up into Israel. Doesn't really give all the ins and outs about it. And do they send the hostages home later on? We don't know. Verse 25, And Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoaz, king of Israel. So the guy who won the battle, he died sooner. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, from first to last, indeed they are not written in the book of the kings of Judah of Israel. After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. So his father got killed, and then he gets killed. That's um, a lot of killing going on at Kings. But apparently they were a little upset with the way that he ran things, the way that he did things. And in those 15 years, there must have been a whole lot of other things that happened that got folks upset. But it said that he turned from following the, the Lord. After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. Well, he's not protected by the things of God. And he, he should have been. He knows better. Well, here's the things that we can look at. Now, the rest of uh, Kings pretty much covers the same things we already took a look at here. It, that uh, Chronicle says. But here's our question. How is it that an evil king, one who is more evil, wins out over a king who is good? Now, we ask this question a lot of different times, especially when we have, uh, you know, even in the political circle. How many times have we seen a political candidate we think is, is good, we think is, is a believer, and they lose to a heathen. A heathen. Or the, they lose to uh, a heathen media. Oh, that just irritates me to no end how much the media keeps picking our candidates. I don't, I don't like it. I want somebody who can fight against them. Um, I've told you my qualifications and, and that. And since Reagan, I've only had one candidate who has met all my qualifications. And... Uh, that's it. All those years, one candidate. I usually get one who, and I only have three. 
I can get two out of three this time. We have, I have a couple that have two out of three. Nobody's got all three. Not a single one has all three. It's, uh, I, I don't understand the, the, the wherewithal with it, with it all. But, but Herman Cain, he not only hit all three, he hit a fourth one that I like to see in, in somebody. He just was outstanding. But we haven't uh, seen somebody like that. Uh, he was a guy who loved the Lord, great ideas, loved the Constitution, loved the country. And one of the biggest qualifications I see in the, in the guy, he ran big stuff. And he did well. We don't see that a whole lot anymore. But you, but you take a look at that, even with, uh, with, with Herman. He faced an ungodly media. And who won? And we look at that and we say, that shouldn't be. That should not be. How is it that God's people go up against Satan's people and lose? Doesn't that get you upset sometimes? Gets me upset. Gets me upset when we find somebody who is um, born again and believes in some principles. We send them over there to Washington. And within a year or two, they're doing the same things the sinners are doing. That gets me frosted. I get upset at that sort of stuff. So why is it that these things are going on? And it comes down to, to this. When we read the story in Kings, we have no idea why Amaziah lost. As far as we could tell, there's, he should have won. There's no reason for him to have lost if we read the king's account. But we come over to Chronicles and we get a whole different viewpoint. On, oh, he brought in idols. Oh, this happened. Oh, and he went like this. Oh, well, now we understand a little bit. But still, he was still better than the one that, that, uh, <laughs> that was over here. And I don't understand, why is he still losing? Why is God either helping this, the, this side of Israel when he just said, I'm not with Israel? But they won the battle. So how is it that this can go on? And here's the thing that we, that we see. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that we don't see and we don't understand. And very often we are presented with the wrong picture. We've had that happen in our own recent uh, time past. That whole uh, incident that happened with the, um, I don't remember all the players that were involved anymore. It was too long ago. The St. Louis area. And the hands up, don't shoot deal with the, the young man who apparently, according to the reports, was shot in the back while he was trying to run away from the police officers. And what we found out was when they had the grand jury probe, they took all the witnesses, listened to all the witnesses, listened to all the reports, saw all the video surveillance that they had, and they said it was a lie. It never happened that way. And they had all the blood evidence. They had all the fingerprint evidence that this man was not running away, but he was actually at the car trying to get the gun, did get the gun, that his fingerprints are running all these things that went on we had the video of, of him beating up the shop owner right before he had confronted the police officer and so the picture that was given of this nice gentle giant of this nice guy who just was looking forward to going to college and all the different things that they say we found out it wasn't true at all it was completely false but there are still people today who hold to the fact that the police officers shot somebody without any, any uh, provocation. And you'll have a hard time talking. You talk to some people about it, and they'll, they'll just shut you down. Because, no, that's not what happened. Wait a minute, here's the fact. Here's, the grand, here's what the witnesses said. Well, we don't care. See, there's another, another side to the story. I, I, that's why I turn the media off. I don't listen to them. 
because you listen to what the media has to say, they're going to present to you a certain argument. They want you to come to a certain conclusion. And they're going to help you get there. And it doesn't matter if it's, it's, if it's a right conclusion. They just want to get you to get to a conclusion. So if I can't get to all the facts, I just want to be out of it. If I'm not involved, I just want to be out of it. If, if I'm involved in the decision, I need to see all the facts. If I am not involved in all the decisions, I need to stay out of it. I don't want to be one of those fools that's going around proclaiming, oh, these folks did this and these folks did that. We were down in Philadelphia, I think it was last Christmas, Christmas before, probably last Christmas. And they had one of those demonstration, hands up, don't shoot. They were going to, we were over there for the Christmas uh, shopping. And some of the police officers were, were over there and they were guarding these people who were protesting, for, uh, testing the police officers. And so we saw a group of them. And they were all paired off. They were like uh, groups of three and four police officers when they got a little chance to take a break and not have to be out over there. And so I went over to uh, one of the groups. And it, it's interesting, the police officers, every single group was all interracially mixed. Every single one of them. And so I went up to one of them and said, you know what, not everybody is against you guys. We really appreciate the, the work that you do. They just smiled. They said, thanks, we appreciate that. And, uh, and went on. But there's a lot of people that are just completely ignorant. And they don't know. They don't want to be educated on the thing. If evil wins over good, there's a reason for it. We just are not privy to what that reasoning is. But there is a reason for it. If you need to be involved, then you'll be involved. If not, stay out of the thing. I don't, I don't need to be involved in all the, the different things that are going on out there. So I, I try and stay, stay back on some of it. Brother Hagen told us, remember that story of his, um, I forget who it was, it his sister or somebody, a relative of his, the only one he didn't pray out of death. And she died. And one of the times he was up in heaven, he saw her. And he wanted to ask, this is one of those things that bothered him. Why could I not pray you out of death? And this is the response. Kenneth, there was a reason. <laughs> and that was it. And that was it. And I, I, I forget the, the whole ins and outs of the story, but Jesus uh, spoke to Brother Hagin about it directly. And he told him, he says, there was a reason. It's not for you to know. And he said, I don't want you to visit this again in your thought life. <laughs> he said, okay. And he said, I've never visited that again in my thought life. Because, you know, your thought life likes to go there. Well, why did that happen? Well, why did this go on this way? Well, how come this didn't? And what happens is, and this I put in your outline for you, don't question God when evil triumphs over what you see as good. Don't question God. We know God is good. We know God's word is true. What the enemy tries to do is to bring these things into your thinking. A tactic of the enemy and others, news media included, is to get you to ask unfounded questions with an answer given but never proved. He wants you to begin to think unfounded questions and then once you ask that unfounded question, he will give you an answer. But that answer will never be proved. Just like in the case with the uh, uh, don't shoot the thing. People have got an answer to a question, but the question was unfounded. But the, the answer is never proved. They don't care. They believe it is true. And that's all that matters. And they're going to go off on the basis of that. And this is what the enemy tries to do with Christians. He tries to get you to ask a question 
about a situation for which you're not privy to all the, all the things that went on. And if you can ask that question, he can get you to question the word, God's love, God's care, God's ability to answer prayer, all these different things, and he will give you an answer and never has to prove that it's right. Never has to. You look at people who have accepted untruth for these things, they never look for the answer to be proved. Never look for it. And we see it in all kinds of, of, uh, of ways. I didn't get to talk to you about this before, but you know, um, we just passed the anniversary of Al Gore's 10-year prediction. We passed the 10-year anniversary of Al Gore's prediction. Now, I know this because Rush Limbaugh, from the time that Al Gore put it on there, put on a countdown timer on his website for 10 years. Because he knew the foundation that, that, the, that what Al Gore was claiming was going to happen was never going to happen. And so he's going to hold them to it. Because all these guys keep making predictions. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, this, if we don't do something, this is going to happen. And Al Gore's prediction was, if we don't do something in 10 years, it will be irreversible. And yet, we've had no global warming for the last 17 years. Now, I saw the last thing the scientists say. All the global warming has got pushed down to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> See, you can't prove that, but we don't have to. All you have to do is accept the answer. And down there at the bottom of the ocean, way down in the depths of the ocean, it's warmed up. And uh, eventually, it'll come and bubble and surface and then catastrophe and all this sort of stuff. But we never have to prove these things. You got an answer, but we never have to prove it. Somebody held his, uh, his feet to the fire on this one. I don't know where it will come from it. But um, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you to ask an unfounded question. God, why does evil prevail over good? And God simply says, where do you see that? Well, right over here. Right over, how do you know that evil won out over good? How do you know that? Do you know everything about the one that you're calling good? Do you know whether they followed after God and all the things that God said to do? Do you know if they were in a place that God said, don't be there? Do you know if they were disobeying God on something and came into judgment? Because God judges his house first. The folks that are not in his house, they get judged later. But he's going to judge his house first because he wants to preserve them for the end. The people have rejected him. Fine, we'll deal with you at the end time. Can't really do. God chastises those whom he loves. So we have to understand that just because I see a certain amount of things happening, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I don't know what else might have happened. Brother Hagin used to tell us stories of, of certain uh, ministers and um, uh, how they how they um, fell, how they died. I mean, one, one particular healing minister died sick, died in the hospital. And God told him uh, two years before, judge yourself on this, 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 and this, and he didn't do it. And two years later, Brother Hagin even forgot that he gave him that word. But, and um, he was up in the hospital, and God told him three days he'll be dead. Well, if you don't have that inside information, you're wondering what's going on. How is it that this could happen? And the devil can come in and begin to... See, he, divine healing is not for everybody. How could he die of a disease if divine healing is true? He gets you to ask a question that's unfounded. There's no foundation to the thing. 
Then once you ask that question, an answer will be supplied, but that answer never has to be proved. Because people just accept it. And they just go on. That's a tactic of the enemy. It's a tactic of the news media. How often do you have hear people on the news ask a question or they, they do the straw man argument? Well, people say that this is... Well, what people? <laughs> Who's saying that? Well, people. Well, well, who? Who says that? And they don't have to come up with to say who said it. They're just going off the fact that, well... We're saying that some people said this, so now let's deal with that. What do you mean deal with it? <laughs> but that's what they'll, what they'll do. That's why I'll tell you what. They, they, don't get those people in your house. Keep them out of your house. We watch almost everything, not live, but recorded. Simply because not only do I not want to see the commercials, I can't stand the news clips. The little 30 seconds news clips, try and get you to watch the news later on. I don't want to see that. I make sure we fast forward all the way through that stuff. I don't want to hear what they say. I don't want to, I don't even want to hear what they say about the weather. I don't trust them. I don't believe them. We've told you this many times before, but good questions are based on knowledge, not ignorance. There are, there is such a thing as stupid questions. Stupid questions are questions that are based on ignorance. They are stupid. And they make you, or not you person, but they make the person who asks them look stupid. And they should be. Don't ask a question based on ignorance. Ask a question based on knowledge. Because I know this, how can this be? How can we get to here? What can we do about this? They ask those kind of questions. But don't ask questions based on ignorance. If you don't know about a situation about why a person was arrested, why a person... I've even watched the videos. How many times you watch those 30-second clips of the videos? Oh, that person was wrong. I can't believe that they did... I, I refuse to come to a judgment on that. I refuse to do it. But look, you can see the evidence right there. No, I can't. I don't know what happened before. I don't know what happened after. Sure, it looks like this person is guilty from the... But I'm not there. I'm not the one who's going to be seeing all those things. Other people are going to be able to do that. We're going to let them uh, go out there and to, and to see all that sort of stuff. Don't fall into questions based on ignorance. You look at that story in Kings and you're asking, how is it that a good king can fall to a bad king? And you can come up with all kinds of things and the devil will fill in the blanks. That's right. You're good. In a bad company, those folks, they could win out on you. They could knock you out. They could do this to you. Oh, they could. And what's God going to do? What did he do for Amaziah? He did nothing. See, these kind of things will, will come out. That's the enemy. Don't, um, don't fall for it. Don't buy into it. You are better than that. We are all better than that. Truth is what we need to seek after. If you are not in a position to gain the truth on a situation, then back out. Back out. Whether it deals with a, a minister if you are not into a, you know, Creflo Dollar was going out there and going to buy that air, uh, jet plane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One that was capable of flying the intercontinental. And if we are not privy to why he needs that, what God has said to him, what God is doing for him in that particular area, I keep my mouth shut about it. In fact, I keep my thought life out of it. I don't think about it. I don't have evil thoughts about Creflo Dollar. How's he wasting all that money? I don't, I'm not going to do that sort of stuff. 
I'm not in a place to know whether if God has called him to get a plane like that to be able to do it, God could sure enough pay for it. And if he needs it, if God says he needs it, he better get it. Because if God's telling you to get something and you don't, you're in disobedience. Now, if God didn't tell him to get it, then he's in trouble too. But you know what? In no, none of those scenarios am I involved. God's not going to call on me to go out there and, and say anything, do anything. It's, he is God's servant. And if he's missing it, God will take care of him. If he's not, stay out of the way. As they said in the New Testament, you might be find, found fighting God. I don't want to be doing that. I, I thoroughly enjoy Brother Creflo Dollar. I only bring that one up because I, he's not someone I have a question on. I think he is a great man of God. I enjoy listening to him. He has great insight in the word. I love even his presentation of the thing. And I feel that he is such, of such high caliber that if he tells me that God told him to get the plane, I believe him. <laughs> I totally believe him. I think that's what God told him to do. And God will have a good reason for it. God will have uh, good things for him to do in that. And we just, I, I just, I don't need to get in, involved in all that sort of stuff. So just be careful. Good versus evil, good will always win out. But good to us and good to God is different. Because you've got somebody who's been following after good and turns bad. It's not, that's a bad situation. That is a bad situation. God does not say that the heathen cannot stand before their enemies. He says the godly cannot stand before their enemies if they forsake their God. And once you know that, you understand how Israel won this battle. Israel was wrong. They served the wrong God. They're doing the wrong things. But Judah was serving God and left him. And that's not the place that you ought, ought to go. Now, what will happen from here? Israel is, is coming up on their time when they're going to be dispersed. And Judah will still be around. Of course, uh, they didn't uh, do such, such uh, tremendous things. But Amaziah is going to have a son, has already had a son, and he will become one of the great kings of Israel. He had some uh, shortcomings. And he did some things that were wrong. But he will become one of the great kings. And we won't look at him next week. Because in back in Kings, we got some other kings to get through, including Jeroboam II, before we get over to him. But he goes by two different names. And so the next king that's going to come up in line with, with Judah is King Uzziah. He's called Uzziah in Chronicles. He is called by a different name in Kings. It is different enough that you look at that and you say, oh, this is a different king. It's not. It's Uzziah. It's the, it's the same guy. And uh, became, I believe it's Isaiah's favorite king. He loved Uzziah. And was, I think it was Isaiah that was so distraught when Uzziah died. And um, he was a good king. He was a good guy. Isaiah loved him. God loved him. But he did some things that weren't quite, uh, he shouldn't quite have done. But for the most part, Uzziah was a good king. But only a question of, of good and evil. If you can't get all the facts, don't make all the, any judgment at all. You've got to be able to get all the facts. And once you have the facts, God will give you the insight on, on what goes on. Father, we thank you for the help you give us in every situation that we face. The enemy wants us to question and ask questions that are not founded on truth because then he can give us an answer that's not based on truth. 
But Father, you don't want us to be confused or lacking in anything. But if there are situations in which we cannot get to the truth, we need to not visit it even in our thought life. And if there are situations where we can get at the truth, you will help us to understand all that went on and explain to all the people that are there how God's love is shown throughout all of it. We thank you for it, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.